Welcome back to another edition of the ASAP Equal podcast. I'm your host as always, Dr. Jason Woods. Today we're going to continue our discussion of the treatment of opiate use disorder and substance use disorder in the emergency department. And the subject of it today is how do you go about connecting your patients with outpatient resources for continued care? We have two guests today. Dr. Amy Moulin is an associate professor at UC Davis and is the behavioral health director in the ED with dual appointments in emergency medicine and psychiatry. Dr. Hannah Snyder works in primary care addiction medicine at Zuckerberg San Francisco Hospital and is a clinical assistant professor of family community medicine at UCSF. They're both part of the California Bridge Project and have experience in once you have some sort of system in the emergency department or you're founding one, how do you go about transitioning those patients from your emergency department out to outpatient care? So I'm Amy Moulin, and Hannah Snyder and I both work together as part of the California Bridge Project. And basically, this is a program where we are providing technical assistance and coaching to hospitals in California to provide 24-7 evidence-based treatment for patients with use disorders. And when you think about your emergency department and emergency department patients, what we commonly think about are a complex trauma resuscitation, treating life-threatening conditions in a time-sensitive way. What we know about opiate use disorder is that it absolutely fits this category. Opiate use disorder is fatal. Opiate use disorder is treatable. And we know that treatment prevents mortality. Hannah, I know you're at San Francisco General, how does your emergency department approach patients with substance use disorders? Thanks, Amy, and thanks for letting us be here today. So at San Francisco General, we see a lot of folks with substance use disorders and with opioid use disorder, and we really treat it like any other life-threatening illness. As an emergency physician, as a hospitalist, we all need to be comfortable treating this illness, just like we're comfortable treating COPD exacerbations and CHF exacerbations. We know that every provider and every staff member at San Francisco General should be comfortable doing the basics of addiction medicine treatment, stigma-free, warm, and welcoming care to these folks. We know that there are every once in a while these really hairy, complicated cases, and we're lucky to have some addiction docs to help us out and some substance use navigators to help us out. But in the vast, vast majority of cases, these are things that our ED docs handle by themselves and our NPs and PAs handle by themselves and do so in a stigma-free and warm and welcoming way. So this is, a, this is an illness like any other, and it's life-threatening like any other. We think about, oh, in my ED, we don't really have that many people with substance use disorders, but we know that up to 28% of adult ED patients actually screen positive for substance use disorder. So we know that medications for addiction treatment, like buprenorphine, like methadone, save lives. There's a ton of studies out there that show that when somebody is on treatment for their substance use disorder with bup or with methadone, that their all-cause mortality goes down to about a third of what it would have been otherwise. But I think what really struck me about this and why we started really focusing on the work in the emergency department, this is such an immediately life-threatening thing. There's this study that came out of Massachusetts by uh, Weiner et al., that shows that patients who have an overdose, who come to the ED and are treated for the overdose, of the patients who die after that overdose, about 20% die in that first month. And again, about another 20% of those die in the first couple days. So this is an important immediate spike in mortality. Amy, what do you think about that? How does that inform your practice? Yeah, this study really changed the way that I thought about patients with overdose and patients with use disorders in my emergency department. Because as an emergency physician, I own that first month. I for sure own the first two days post-discharge. And I think 
But I had a patient that I discharged from my emergency department with chest pain that died two days later. I would own that death. And so I really started to think about patients that I see who have an opioid overdose, who have an increased risk of death at two days and one month. If I have an opportunity to intervene and decrease their risk of death, that's on me. So this study really changed the way that I thought about patients in my emergency department post-overdose. Because as emergency providers, we kind of own those first 48 hours post-discharge. But also, I think the emergency department functions as a very important access place for patients to enter care. We're open 24-7, and patients are able to walk in at any time and access treatment. We also know that treatment in the emergency department is cost-effective and that an ED-based screening, brief intervention, referral to treatment actually saves money and will reduce healthcare costs the following year. And treatment in the emergency department doubles the likelihood that the patient will be in treatment for a month. So this has really taught me that the emergency department is a critical access point for patients with use disorders to enter into treatment. So I'm not an ED doc. I work in the inpatient setting. I teach on a hospitalist service. And I think we face a lot of the same issues that Amy's describing here. I've talked to so many different hospitalist colleagues who say, well, there's no point in me starting patients on medications while they're in the hospital, while they're inpatient. Why don't I just kind of detox them all the way off? Or maybe they're going to go back out and use again. So why would I start them on anything while they're admitted to the hospital? But when you look at the literature, it's really clear that about two-thirds of hospitalized people who use drugs say they want to cut back or quit. They're motivated in this moment when they're in the hospital. And there's a couple real important reasons why we should treat these folks. One is just if I have a person who's admitted to my hospital for endocarditis and they're in withdrawal from opioids, the chances of them leaving AMA and not getting that full course of treatment are really high. So I want them to be comfortable enough to stay with me to prevent that AMA discharge and to complete that course of inpatient care. And then I want to be able to start them on these medications because they're life-saving and linked to long-term treatment. And there was actually a great study by Jane Liebschutz et al. who showed that when they randomized people to either start buprenorphine inpatient and kind of continue it through their stay or to just get a quick detox and then get linked to outpatient care, actually starting and continuing that buprenorphine inpatient caused a six-fold increase in their linkage to MAT, which is huge. That is an incredible impact and I think more than most things that we do inside the hospital. And there's also pretty strong evidence out there that people being on buprenorphine or being on methadone decreases your rates of readmission, which is something that we're all so focused on inside the hospital. So another concern I hear is that buprenorphine and methadone, using them outside of a specialized treatment center is illegal. We hear this commonly. And so there's a lot of myths around what is legal and what is not legal. Hannah, can you just break it down for me one more time? What are the rules and regulations around treating patients with use disorder in an acute care setting? Oh my gosh, yes. We get this question all the time. And I think people are really nervous around treating opioid use disorder because of these perceived regulatory issues. So let's break it down. If a person is out in the world in the outpatient setting and they need buprenorphine, they need somebody with an X waiver to prescribe their buprenorphine. If a person is out there in the world and needs methadone to treat their opioid use disorder, they have to go to a specialty opioid treatment program. But those rules don't apply when you're inside the hospital or inside your emergency department. So if a patient comes into the ED in an emergent setting in withdrawal, it is legal to administer, so dose, not prescribe, 
up to 72 hours of methadone or buprenorphine to treat withdrawal. That means somebody can come into your ED and even if you don't have an X waiver, you can administer that dose of buprenorphine then and there. And if you wanted to, they could come back the next day and get another dose. And then they could come back the next day and get another dose. Now, most places don't do that. Most places just do a single dose, but that's what the law covers. And then inside the hospital, if a patient is admitted for a medical or surgical reason, say the person comes in with a heart attack or needs their gallbladder out or anything like that, then the person can be started and maintained on either methadone or buprenorphine for as long as you need. You don't need any special licensure as a hospital. You don't need any special licensure as an individual provider. But then on discharge, the regular rules apply. So if I don't have an X waiver, I can't write a prescription for somebody to take buprenorphine out in the world. I can only administer it inside of my hospital or UD. Let's be clear on this. If someone is admitted to the hospital for another condition and I am not X waivered, I can prescribe buprenorphine for over 72 hours or do I have to split it up and do you know the first 24 and try and stretch it out so I can get the full week? So such a good question and we hear this a lot but you can administer that buprenorphine for as long as you need inside the hospital. So we have folks who come in who were never on buprenorphine before their provider is not ex-wavered and they're on buprenorphine in the hospital continuously for weeks at a time while they're getting treatment with antibiotics and surgery. That is totally fine. What if you don't have X waivers? And what if no one in your department has an X waiver? Because this is the way it is in a lot of our hospitals when they're first getting started. That's okay. You can have an ED buprenorphine program or an inpatient buprenorphine program with no one with an X waiver. It's nice to have an X waiver, but if nobody's got an X waiver, you can administer that first dose of buprenorphine and that second dose of buprenorphine and get people comfortable on their buprenorphine with doses that you give them directly in the ED. And then when the patient is discharged, what you just need to do is make sure that they have rapid access follow-up. So there's a lot of hospitals out there where you often don't have an X-waivered provider on staff, but you've got a partner organization in the community where the patient can show up the next day and get their following doses. That's perfectly fine. The other option is that some hospitals and some emergency departments will do sort of a loading dose. We'll give folks a bigger dose on the day of discharge from the hospital or a bigger dose when they're walking out the door of the ED of up to 24 or 32 milligrams. And that bigger dose of buprenorphine can last patients for a longer period of time so that they have a couple days in which to get into outpatient care. Can I just say also, as opposed as I am to having the X waiver and that I definitely think it's a barrier, really, it's just so much easier to go ahead and get your X waiver. In my department, we found that most of the providers spend so much time working with patients, getting them into treatment, that it was just easier for everyone to get their X waiver. And now ASAP has their own X waiver course that they're offering that is actually much better than the original X waiver course. It's focused on emergency medicine. So just to plug out there for anyone who's considering this, really, it's worth your time to go through the course. And I will link to that in the show notes. I'm going to tell you guys the secret to my program at UC Davis and the secret to a lot of our programs in California. And that is a substance use navigator. This is Tommy Trevino. He is the substance use navigator at UC Davis, and he has been with us for several years. He has done an amazing job in providing a linkage for patients. He provides the warm handoff to make sure that they get into outpatient treatment. He understands the resources in the community, and he really has time to sit down and connect with patients and to help support them as they transition into treatment. He's much better at it than I am. I think a lot of my emergency department colleagues, you're running from patient to patient, and it is hard to find the time to sit down with patients. 
So he's really made a huge difference, I think, in the quality of care that we're able to provide at UC Davis. He is mostly a peer navigator, but does have a certification in providing screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment, and has been an amazing resource. But not everyone has a son. Not everybody has a Tommy. And I absolutely wish that everybody did have a Tommy um, or had a substance use navigator. We really say our substance use navigators are the secret sauce, right? But when you're first starting a program, when you're first getting people dosed with buprenorphine in your emergency department, a lot of places just don't have a substance use navigator. And again, I say that's okay, right? We paint this picture of like what a perfect program looks like, but you can have a really effective program without a substance use navigator. And this is what we had at San Francisco General for a long time when I was first starting out there. The providers would dose patients with buprenorphine, and then the providers and the nurses and the social workers would help link them to ongoing treatment. So, I mean, the way to do it if you don't have a substance use navigator on your staff is to make a connection with a couple different outpatient programs that will take your patients and that you know you can trust. A couple programs that you think are low barrier, that are medication-first programs, and that are warm and welcoming. And just kind of make a flyer with those couple top programs. And then every time you're starting somebody on buprenorphine, you spend a couple minutes chatting with them about where they're going to follow up. And that can be the provider, that can be the nurse, that can be the social worker, that can be any kind of navigator, anyone else on your hospital staff who has those couple moments to talk to a patient. The key is really having them know that they can follow up somewhere and that they can just sort of show up in the next day or two that they know they'll be welcomed, and that they know that they'll be able to get their buprenorphine. In a perfect world, you have that substance use navigator, but don't let the lack of a substance use navigator stop you from providing buprenorphine. So let's get down to finding that outpatient follow-up, because I think a lot of us, when we first think about this, the concept of finding a place to send patients is really the barrier that keeps us from starting. When I first started to want to do this, I looked around and thought, okay, how am I going to find any treatment facility that will accept my patients on a short-term basis? And it seemed overwhelming. I did a Google search of opiate treatment programs, and guess what? I found two programs within almost walking distance from my hospital that had been in existence for years, and I just didn't know about them. So I would encourage anyone out there who's in the same situation to just start to open your doors and do a scan of what your community resources are. You will probably find that there are some existing programs out there. And a quick phone call, I made a connection with a couple of these programs, and they would start taking patients on a walk-in basis. I also went and outreached to a couple of our local community clinics who had also had an interest in taking care of patients with opiate use disorder with buprenorphine. And in the clinics, there was a fear around starting buprenorphine because they were very concerned with precipitated withdrawal and they were very worried about getting patients started on buprenorphine, which was really the perfect marriage of my emergency department and their outpatient clinic. We would start patients on buprenorphine and hand them off to the primary care clinic who would then happily continue the patients on buprenorphine. So really the moral of this story that I will tell you is that it really just takes opening your doors, looking around who's out there, pick up the phone and make some phone calls. We are just about nearing the end of our time. And then the last thing I really want to make sure that we get to is how, if you are starting this, do you get connected with outpatient programs in your community that you can even refer patients to? And what types of programs exist? So there are a bunch of different outpatient programs out there that you can work with. Hannah, can you kind of walk me through what those different options are? 
Yeah, it can be totally overwhelming when we first start to hear about different kinds of drug treatment programs and different options for buprenorphine. So to just kind of break it down a little bit with my addiction medicine hat on, there's a couple different places that we end up discharging patients to. And really, it's on us as the hospital or the emergency department to just sort of survey the landscape, think about what options are out there, and then pick linkages to whatever program you think is going to be most welcoming to your patients. It's going to get them in quickly, it's going to provide them with medication, and is going to be nice. So, so that can be one of any different number of programs. That can be a federally qualified health center or a primary care program. There's a lot of PCTs out there who are willing to provide buprenorphine, either for folks who are already in their panel or for folks who are interested in joining their FQHC and engaging in a buprenorphine treatment program. There's a subset of more formalized drug Medicaid programs where it's a little bit more rigorous. There's often counseling linked to the buprenorphine, and there's often more urine toxins and more structure in those programs. And then there's the opioid treatment programs. And those are the ones that we used to think of as methadone clinics. Sometimes they're called narcotic treatment programs as well. And it turns out that most of these opioid treatment programs now are not only providing methadone, they're also providing buprenorphine. And that can be a really great option for a lot of our patients. Those programs are pretty structured. And they'll have patients come in, say, every day for a while, do utoxes, meet with counselors. And then they start to get take-homes with buprenorphine. And they can get the buprenorphine take-homes much faster than patients traditionally got those methadone take-homes. Another option out there is residential programs and detox programs. And I think for a lot of us, this is really what we think of when we think about drug treatment. But this is actually a very small subset of where our patients are getting their care. So you can go to a detox program that's, say, a two-week or a 21-day detox program that can use buprenorphine and work with patients to help them get off of other substances. Or you can go to a residential program that's a 30 or a 90 day program. I'll say there's a lot of variability in these residential and detox programs in terms of how much they're welcoming of patients on buprenorphine. So super important for us to say, when we're checking out these programs, do you welcome patients who are on buprenorphine and can you provide that buprenorphine for those patients or does the patient need to go somewhere else to get their medication? We want to make sure that we're sending folks to a program where they're really going to be supported and being on this life-saving medication. And then the final option that I'll talk about a little bit more is a bridge clinic. And this is really something new that's emerged in terms of a really low barrier, rapid access place for people to follow up and get their buprenorphine. So a bridge clinic is something that's popping up all over the country now. And it's, again, like having a substance use navigator or like having X waivers. This is a really nice bonus to have in your program, but it's not essential. A bridge clinic normally is something that is actually located really close to your hospital and often on your hospital campus. And what bridge clinics do is they provide immediate access for patients after discharge. So maybe they can come in the day after they leave the emergency department, or maybe it's two days after they leave the emergency department, but it's a really fast turnaround with no wait lists. And they say, you know, come one, come all. We don't care about what your insurance is. We don't care about whether you're ready to stop using all substances, we want to welcome you into our program as you are now, and we want to help you use in a safer way. So a lot of this has to do with really providing drop-in hours, making sure that patients don't have to go through really onerous long intake processes. And what bridge clinics can often do is take a person who's walked out the door of your emergency department, get them sort of consistently on that buprenorphine, get them a little bit more stabilized, and then have them pass off to a program where they can be in the long term. Some bridge clinics do serve as that long-term program, but a lot of them are sort of a stepping stone to a longer-term program. And that unfortunately is going to bring us to the end of our discussions with Drs. Moulin and Snyder. 
I hope that this inspires you to go ahead and start breaking down the barriers to doing a program like this and connecting your patients with outpatient therapy. They provided such great lessons on how their programs came to be and things that you can do to start working on this even if you don't have the entire program in place, including if you don't have an X waiver. I've been your host, Dr. Jason Woods. You can find the rest of our ASEP Equal series at the Academic Life and Emergency Medicine website, www.aliem.com. You can find me on Twitter at jwoodsmd. You can email me at jasonwoodsmd at gmail.com. If you've got any questions for the guests or things that you want us to make sure we go over, please let me know.